Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my gosh, you all are the absolute best. I've been doing this podcast since the top of 2019, and of all the episodes I've done, there are more than 200. Last Friday's episode generated the most response that I've ever received. People don't usually send me emails. It happens every once in a while. People slide into my DMs with commentary. But after last week's episode went up, I think it went up on Saturday, but Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and today, Tuesday, there's been an onslaught of messages, of texts, of WhatsApp, friends of mine that I didn't even know listen to the podcast or sending me voicemail notes, just a wonderful wave of of response and also support and also empathy. A lot of y'all identified with with the um I guess anxiety probably is the best word that I expressed on on last week's episode which I'm like god damn all of us are experiencing this and also like Jesus Christ thank God I'm not alone. But thank you thank you thank you for all of your letters and kind words and we got you sis and it's okay sis and we're rooting for him sis. <laughs> I I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It has not been a full week in Ghana. I'm recording this on my, it's Tuesday, 11.59, my time in Ghana. I'm four hours ahead of the East Coast. My life is completely not in order. I hit the ground running the very first day, but between the jet lag and the way I've been running for like the last two months, trying to prepare to move from LA, and then once I was in Maryland preparing to move to Ghana. I've just been going nonstop for two months, trying to prepare to move to Africa. And now that I'm here, I was like, you know what? I have all the basics that I need. I went to the grocery store. There are restaurants on my block. I have food. I have shelter. I have clothing. I have safety. I have debit cards. I'm running low on cash, not dollars, but CDs. I had a bunch that I came with CDs, which is the currency in Ghana. Not CDs like CDs as in music, but like CDs as in C-E-D-I-S. I'm running low on those. I haven't been to an ATM. I haven't been to the money exchange. I haven't gotten covers for my duvet or for my pillows. I'm winging it. I did all this preparation to get to Africa. I'm in Ghana and I'll be here a while. I'll, I'll figure it out at some point, but I just need a break. But so far, so good. I was walking from the grocery store earlier today and I found the American store. <laughs> Y'all, I ain't never been so happy to see Heinz ketchup in all of my life. The first time I went to the grocery store, I noticed they didn't have Heinz ketchup. And I had some visceral reaction to not seeing Heinz. And I was like, what is that about? Of course, I didn't move from America expecting all American products on the shelves. But it was just something about not seeing Heinz. And I was like, I don't even use ketchup like that. I don't make a bunch of sandwiches. But I just really wanted Heinz ketchup for some reason. And I was like, what is, what is that about? Like, what is my emotional attachment to Heinz ketchup? It was very weird. But I found an American store earlier today. You know, I almost cried in the store. Tears of joy over Heinz ketchup. What is my attachment to Heinz ketchup? I need to sit down and think about that. I found the fish market, which is next to the American store. And an organic market, which I was like, I don't get it. Like, isn't everything organic here? It tastes organic. The food here is fresh as fuck. It reminds me of LA. 
when I was thinking about moving to Ghana, I was thinking about what would my life look like. And one of the things that I wanted to do was take random walks every morning around my neighborhood. Ghana is pretty beautiful. It looks like, imagine a Caribbean island and it kind of looks like that. Like it's very, it's very plush and green. Um, like it's literally sitting on the Atlantic. So I said I wanted to take walks through my neighborhood every morning and I envisioned myself And it's something I I did when I was staying in the same apartment before. I liked walking down the road to the grocery store and I liked carrying my groceries. It's a very weird thing. I think it ties back to me being 20 something in New York and not having a car and me walking to the grocery store and carrying my groceries home. But I like doing it. The first day I went, I walked to the grocery store and I had so much stuff. I had to take I took a ride home, which was 10 CDs, $1.10 USD to, to take a to get a ride home today I put on my backpack and I walked to the store and loaded up my groceries and I put them all in my backpack and I walked back home. The grocery stores, because there's several of them like right together. I was walking down the street so happy I started giggling. I'm living the life I envisioned. It was a 10 moment. Walking to the grocery store and putting my groceries in my backpack and walking back home was a 10. I just love it here. It's like the most basic things make me super, super happy. I keep getting all these signs that that Ghana is where I'm supposed to be in this moment. You know how I feel about Usher. I was so mad that I was going to miss him this year in Vegas. You know how I talked about seeing him last year for my birthday. I talked about that for a full year. And then I wanted to see him this year in Vegas, and I just couldn't pull it off, even after um, I had to change my flight. So I was really bummed about that. And then I got here and was like, oh, my God, Usher's headlining Global Citizen? I was actually planning to go to Sao Tome that weekend, Sao Tome is this little tiny island in the middle of the Atlantic, two and a half hours by plane from Ghana, colonized by Portugal. So a bunch of black people speaking Portuguese. It's a beautiful island, even has this mountain that looks very similar to Sugarloaf, but lots of rainforest, kind of like Brazil. It's a really gorgeous place. It's kind of like the Tulum of Africa, but not Tulum now, like Tulum 10 years ago. I went to Tulum for my 30th birthday and haven't been back since. Like the way Tulum is now, at least the way it looks in pictures I've seen, is almost kind of like Bali. Like it's very like well-developed, very touristy, tons of restaurants, tons of like glitzy hotels. This place is like Tulum before all that. It's very eco-friendly. It's very untouched as of right now, from the pictures at least, because I've been scrolling on Instagram and Pinterest, the most beautiful beaches, like their beaches look like like Haiti beaches. Haiti has the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen. So I was supposed to go there the weekend that Usher is performing. Um, I hadn't bought my ticket yet, but I had my whole itinerary picked out. And I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. I will be changing all my plans to see Usher. That's going to be a straight turn up. And not just the day of Global Citizen, but the influx of people into Accra. People have also been hitting me up from the States and be like, sis, what hotel do I stay at? Because I'm coming from America to see Usher. And I was like, what? Like People are already starting like playing parties around Global Citizen or events leading up to Global Citizen. And I was like, oh, okay. It's about to be like December in Ghana, except in September. I'll take it. There were a couple other signs. My friend, Nicole invited me to a welcome dinner on on Saturday. So she, her hubby, another gentleman, and me. And I was like, is this a date? It wasn't. 
And then afterward, we went to a club where this actor who I've been obsessed with, I went through this Nollywood phase a couple months ago, and he was in like all the films. And I was like, oh my God, I have never seen a man this beautiful in life. So he was the host for our after party. You know, he came in and he sat at the table. He was so beautiful. I had to like look and look away. Like I couldn't look directly at him as he was speaking. And I was like, he probably thinks I'm on the spectrum, but he was so gorgeous. I just couldn't look him in the face. Absolutely gorgeous. Also about this guy, I started writing because I told you I had to write 15 pages of my script, right? I started writing the story with this guy in mind as the hero, That's how gorgeous I find this man, right? He was there. One of his friends was coming to meet him, another actor and director. So we meet the director in like this other part of the club. The director is like hella cool. And he was like, oh, I'm here with some of my actors. You should come meet them. So we go over to another part of the club to meet his friends. Do you know one of them people was like my homie from New York? She moved to LA, I want to say probably like 2000. 13, 14, I left New York 2017. She left in 20, so like 2014. We didn't connect when I was in LA. She's always traveling for work, so she's rarely there. LA is just her base. And then, you know, the pandemic hit, so like nobody was seeing anybody. And I was like living in DC half the time. But this was like my homie. Like, I really love this chick. And I ran into her in the middle of fucking Ghana. And I was like, is this a sign? It's been raining for the last couple days. It didn't rain today, but Sunday, Monday, it rained all day. Ghana is not much fun in the rain. I went out Sunday morning before it started raining. It started drizzling and then like rained rain while I was doing my morning walk. And it was like destitute outside. Like there was no one out. There was like a car here and there. The shops that usually line the streets where people are selling on the side of the road, all closed. The coffee shop was closed. The liquor store was closed. Everything was closed. The liquor store doesn't open until 1245 on Sunday. I was informed Sunday afternoon. One of my girlfriends came out to meet me for sushi. And she was like, sis, I want you to know the only reason I'm outside in the rain, because we don't do rain here, it's because it's your first weekend in Ghana and I want to welcome you. Otherwise, I would not be here. And I was like, fine, fine, fine. Thank you. But when I was walking around, everything was closed. And I was like, where is everyone? And she was like, at church. My heathen ass. I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh. I went for my walk. I came home. It was pouring outside and nothing was open. So I couldn't run errands even if I wanted to. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll just watch P-Valley. Everyone and their mother has been talking about P-Valley. And I just wasn't tuned in for whatever reason. I never watched the episode. But it had hit like peak zeitgeist. Like people were quoting the show and the quotes were so good. I was like, what is this? What are y'all talking about? And they were like, girl, P-Valley, you saw last night. And I was like, no, but everyone was talking about this show and I was starting to feel left out. So I was like, well, let me just watch an episode and see what it's about. This is one of the best pilot episodes of a show I've ever seen. I wanted to know everything about all of the characters immediately. So I sat here and binged P-Valley. I started watching on Sunday. I finished earlier today. Like, I had to know what happened next. I had to know what happened next. Part of the reason I haven't been out to go get stuff is because I was sitting in the house watching P-Valley. Also, it was raining. Yesterday, I actually could have gone out. Like, the stores were open in the rain, but I didn't want to go out in the rain. It's so good. Oh, my God, it's so good. I'm so mad I I didn't watch it with everyone else. I totally would have been recapping that show. We would have had a good kiki every week. My bad. And people told me to watch it, too. And I just, I don't know. I just didn't. I did that with Snowfall, too. 
and Pose. I didn't watch either of those until they hit season two. And The Wire. I'm really bad for that. Sex in the City, the original Sex in the City. I didn't really tune into that until season three either. But P Valley is like fucking amazing. And I was like, can I still write think pieces about this? Like I have so many thoughts. Like I've seen people talk about um, the portrayal of of the LGBT community and sex particularly. And I was like, um, LGBTQIA plus, I want to make sure everybody's concluded. But I was like, um, they fuck and they deserve representation. What's the problem? That's, that's a natural part of human life. And like in a show about sex, you expected that the queer people wouldn't fuck. Like people were expecting only the heterosexual people were going to have sex. Also, when I saw people reacting to the sex scenes between the men, I expected it to be much more graphic than what was depicted. I was like, oh, y'all would have exploded if y'all saw Pose. I thought the gay or queer sex scenes in Pose were far more graphic than P-Valley. I think people are primarily reacting to Lil Murder being traditionally masculine. Think a member of Onyx, which I feel like I'm about to get cursed out by Fredro Starr. I just mean in the sense of hyper-masculinity, right? And he hangs out with other hyper-masculine men. And he also has sex with Uncle Clifford. Uncle Clifford is, identifies as she, wears flamboyant clothes, heels, wigs, purses, long nails, makeup, lashes. And then also another guy who also is traditionally masculine, hyper-masculine even. I think that's what people are mostly reacting to. I think people are more, tolerant is not the right word. Maybe accustomed, expecting. Maybe it's that they expect men who are considered more feminine to be attracted to men, but they don't think like traditionally masculine men are attracted to men, which I was like, where have y'all been for like the last, I don't know, thousand years? Or, you know, longer than that, because we're going back to the Romans and shit. But I was like, people are really freaking out over the wrong things. Also, too, I thought talking about the wrong things, maybe because I didn't watch the show, I wasn't really tuned in to the discourse around it. But midway through season one, I had to put this post on Facebook. And I was like, can people point me to think pieces about the Valley that, that specifically discuss the exploitation involved in religion? Because Mercedes Mama is a heavy critique of the black church. Have there been conversations about the prevalence of intimate partner violence, domestic violence? I think it's notable that it's prominent in several characters on the show. The rampant misogyny. It's not that I didn't know it existed. It's just to see it depicted. Not telling is the right word. It's just weird, really. And not that sexism or misogyny is any kind of logical. There's one scene where there's this guy that is at the strip club. He has come to the strip club. He is not tied down. He is not being held hostage. There is no gun to his head. But he has willingly come to the strip club. And there's a dancer in front of him. And he's telling the dancer, I don't see why I should have to pay you to take off your clothes. And I was like, why are you at a strip club? Like, if that's the opinion that you have, like, you don't feel that you want to pay women to take off their clothes, I completely understand that. You are entitled to that opinion. But why would you be at a strip club? That's probably the mildest example of misogyny in the show because it's rampant. That and the abuse of women is so rampant throughout the show. But it's just like, you hate strippers. You hate women. But you spend all your time and money in a strip club. 
It doesn't make sense. And even just like it's a critique in larger society, it doesn't make sense. Like if you sit online any amount of time and you happen to scroll through one of these, any, any, con- any conversation about relationships, the visceral hatred that so many men have for women, I'm like, why do y'all date women? Stop dating women. Y'all don't like us. Stop. I'm not saying go date your boys. I'm just saying stop dating. Women do this all the time. They'll be like, I'm, I'm sick of, of men. I'm over them. I can't deal with, with men in their shit. Like the rampant misogyny, like I'm over all of it. Fuck this shit. I'm done. And they stop dating, which makes total sense. If you're at the point where you think all men ain't shit, the best thing you could do for yourself is stop dating. If you think men ain't shit, why would you date them? The same issue applies with men. You hate women in general and strippers specifically, but you keep going to the strip club. Why? I wondered if anyone had bothered, and this might be worthy of someone's thesis. This is a free idea if you want it. A forensic financial examination of where the money generated by black women who are sex workers, where that money goes into the community. In this show, one of the main characters has a mother who is an aspiring pastor And she and her mother have a deal that she puts, that the woman puts her money into this account so that the church that the mother attends can get a bank loan. But the mother hates that her daughter does this type of work, but yet she'll take her money and the church will take her money when it benefits them. You can't hate what I do, but love the money I make from it. And in that same vein, I was thinking about how perhaps America's worst ism and this is something i've been thinking about a lot just being in ghana which is not hyper capitalist and the way america is like you can't just throw money at a problem here like someone says no and you'll be like all right well you know xyz amount more and they'll still be like no i told you about the time where i asked I asked the uber to wait for me and take me back home guy said yes we agreed on a price for him to wait and then take me back I said, this whole process will probably take 20 minutes if you could wait that long. And then I'll come back and you could take me back to where you picked me up from. So he was like, sure, no problem. We agreed on a price. So when I went to the place, the whole process took maybe five minutes tops instead of 20. So I came back to the car. He drops me off. I give him the price that we agreed upon because that's the price that we agreed to. This is 50 CDs. It's the equivalent of maybe like $6. You know, he gave me 20 CDs back and he was like, it's too much. What do you mean it's too much? He was like, here. And I was like, no, 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 take it. Because to me, it's $6. And he was like, no, 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 take it. Take it back. That's the kind of culture that it is here. But I'm rolling around this theory. And I started thinking about it watching P-Valley. Is if America's worst ism isn't racism or even sexism, but capitalism. Because capitalism will trump everything else. And I was starting to think about this in terms of the way people vote, especially with Trump. It's like. He only caters to people who are extraordinarily wealthy, who are making that wealth largely off the exploitation of workers. But people who are the workers and are being exploited, who will never have 1% or 10% or top 20% even wealth, will vote for Trump against all of their other best interests because they believe that one day they can be 1%, 5%, 10%, but one day they'll be super wealthy. It's just currently they're not. But that vote is based on whiteness too, but also money. Or you think about like black people who are Republicans. It's like they hate us. They're the party of racism. 
but there are black people who will be active Republicans because they're like, oh, well, you know, I own a business or tax breaks. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm playing with that idea. But I was thinking about it with P-Valley specifically in the way that people look down on sex workers until they need the money of sex workers and then it's okay. I did not expect that I would be thinking about think pieces on capitalism and, and, and financial forensics off of a show about a strip club. And yet, and yet I am. Also, the actor that plays Lil Murder acted his whole entire black ass off. I had to go to his page and see what he was like in real life. Is he like a, a Mississippi trap rapper in real life? Because he's playing the whole fuck out of that role. He's not going to get nominated for anything. In the same way that Snowfall doesn't get nominated for anything. In the same way that The Wire doesn't get nominated for anything. I hope Sir knows that he's acting his whole ass off. Even if there are no awards for that. I see him. Sir, I see you. Uh, what else is on our list? Oh, I guess this falls under good black news. Serena Williams is on the cover of, of the U.S. Vogue September issue. She's announcing her retirement. She's retiring after the U.S. Open. I'm happy for her. I knew it was coming at some point. She hasn't been playing. I want to phrase this correctly. I don't want to say she hasn't been playing at her best, but she hasn't been racking up awards and wins in the same way that she used to. She used to dominate on the court. And she's just not able to do that anymore. In the Vogue article, she attributed a lot of not being able to play at her peak to being a mom. She talked about having her daughter and how her body changed. I didn't read the whole Vogue article. I just read a bunch of articles about it. But remember, she had, she had talked about, I don't think she said her pregnancy was difficult, but something happened when she was giving birth or after, and she said she almost died. She had a lot of complications from birth. She also said that she was facing a choice between expanding her family and continuing on with tennis, and she's choosing her family. And she said, well, it's really hard to let go of tennis, which I can only imagine. I can't imagine retiring from writing. Like, it's so much of my identity to not do it would just sort of leave me. I would be trying to find a purpose. So I imagine that that's something that Serena is grappling with. You know what? Let's just pull up the article real quick. There's a whole article in Vogue about Meg the Stallion wearing bodysuits. They said it's her new uniform. <laughs> Meg the Stallion in Vogue. I'm happy she's there. I'm just surprised. That's all. Oh, why is it giving me Vogue UK? Uh, maybe that's why they're talking about Meg the Stallion. I was like, does American Vogue acknowledge Meg the Stallion? We're about to find out. Oh, there's an article on uh, Justice Kentonji Brown Jackson in the new Vogue, the September issue. I'm trying to find the Serena. Okay, here we go. Oh, I didn't realize Serena wrote the article. Okay, I'm so glad I came over here. It's by Serena Williams as told to Rob Haskell. Hmm. So the article starts with Serena talking about her daughter, Olympia, wanting to be a big sister. And then Serena points out that she's the youngest of five and her sisters are her heroes. She says, quote, I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Oh, and just like I thought, she says, 
retiring from tennis has been very hard for her. She says, um, she says, quote, I've been reluctant to admit to myself or anyone else that I have to move on from playing tennis. It's like a taboo topic. I can't even have this conversation with my mom and dad. It comes up. I get an uncomfortable lump in my throat and I start to cry. The only person I've really gone there with is my therapist. I know that a lot of people are excited about and looking forward to retiring. And I really wish I felt that way. She continues, there is no happiness in this topic for me. I know it's not the usual thing to say, but I feel a great deal of pain. It's the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. I hate it. I hate that I have to be at this crossroads. Oh, bae. Oh, and she does mention her complications giving birth. She said, I went from a C-section to a second pulmonary embolism to a Grand Slam final. Played while breastfeeding. I played through postpartum depression. Damn. She says that in her transition, she doesn't like to call it a retirement. She's shifting towards Serena Ventures. She says, every morning I'm excited to walk downstairs to my office and jump onto Zooms and start reviewing decks of companies we're considering investing in. Serena says, I wrote one of my very first checks for Masterclass. It's one of 16 unicorns, companies valued at more than $1 billion that Serena Ventures has funded, along with Tonal, Impossible Foods, and Noom. This year, we raised $111 million of outside financing from banks, private individuals, and family offices. 78% of our portfolio happens to be companies started by women and people of color because that's who we are. Serena Ventures has been an all-female business until recently when we brought in our first guy, a diversity hire. (laughs) Of her legacy, she says, I don't particularly like to think about it. I get asked about it a lot, and I never know exactly what to say. I'd like to think that thanks to opportunities afforded to me, women athletes feel that they can be themselves on the court, that they can play with aggression and pump their fists. They can be strong yet beautiful. They can wear what they want and say what they want and kick butt and be proud of it. I'd like to think that I went through some hard times as a professional tennis player so that the next generation could have it easier. Over the years, I hope that people come to think of me as symbolizing something bigger than tennis. Oh, bae, we already think that. We already think you're bigger than tennis. She says, I admire Billie Jean because she transcended her sport. I'd like it to be Serena is this and she's that and she was a great tennis player and she won those slams. Somebody call this lady and tell her that we already think that of her. Like when I think of Serena Williams, like, yes, I think of tennis, but I think more primarily, I think of how she's changed, expanded the image of black women. Just like she said that you could be both strong and beautiful. I think of moments where she it's tennis adjacent, but it's not like not actually like playing the game. But like when she crip walked on the court, I think about her in the black cat suit and how there was a national discussion of the curves of black women's bodies and what was considered beautiful. I think about all the times that she was referred to as masculine and how she pushed against that narrative. I think about her and Venus and their, and their beaded hair on the tennis court. Black girls have had braids with beads for time immemorial. I don't know if it was mainstream before Serena and Venus. I think about also too, how heavily she's been critiqued How all of the most negative stereotypes about black women 
were heaped on her in droves. I think about how she withstood racism on and off the court. And despite that, still dominated. Like I think of her perseverance and excellence in the face of adversity. But I really need somebody to call Serena and be like, girl, we already think these things. Like this is not like you got to work another 20 years and and prove yourself to be something else. Like you got to go be Magic Johnson or something and open up like a bunch of and open up a bunch of theaters, Starbucks and Fridays and black communities. Your legacy is secure. You could really just take the good money that you've earned from tennis and do fabulous vacations every year. We'll add that on to the memory. Like, oh, girl, Serena spent that tennis money beautifully. Living well is its own legacy. But she's done so much more. She gets a lot of critiques then, now. It's always about something. But I like that she just keeps going. I love that about her. So congratulations to Serena on her transition into whatever's next. I will be watching. Also, if she wants to, like, fuck around and become a billionaire like Rihanna... Or do what Magic's done and make a bunch of really great investments. Good for you. Good for you. She could also just choose to do nothing and be in the background. And I hope that she knows that that's good enough as well. I do want to talk about Ashanti and Irv Gotti. Irv Gotti and Ja Rule went on, I believe it was Drink Champs. And Irv Gotti got loose in the lips and started talking about his affair with Ashanti. He was married at the time. He was in his 30s. Ashanti was about 19, 20 at the time. Irv told a couple stories and I didn't watch this episode yet. I find Irv Gotti and Ja Rule just, they, they irk my spirit for different reasons. Irv Gotti, I find distasteful. Ja Rule, I'm still, I think I'm still mad at him for the fire Festival. I didn't really feel no ways about Ja Rule. Like people said he was corny. People said he was whack. Like I didn't, I didn't really care. He's a grown ass man. Like I don't apply like high school definitions of who's cool, who's nerdy, who's whatever as to like adults. It's weird to me. But the fire festival thing, like just really like just sent me over the edge with Ja Rule. I'm like, how do you have a public presence after you stole all them people's money? How are you not in jail? As a matter of fact, that's not the point. The point is I haven't watched it. I've only read about it. I've only seen the clips about it. Everyone agrees, including Fat Joe, that Irv Gotti is trash. Irv Gotti goes on the show. He starts talking about how he found out Ashanti was dating Nelly because he saw it on TV. And I guess he thought he was still dating Ashanti. And I was like, sir, how are married you mad that a single woman has started dating a single man? Like, how are you upset about that? Like, you thought your mistress was supposed to be loyal to you? So in this interview, Irv is talking about Ashanti and his bitches this, bitches that, bitches this, bitches that. Ja Rule jumps in at some point and was like, yo, like stop saying bitches. But otherwise doesn't say anything about Irv Gotti disparaging Ashanti in such a way. He's just loose lipped at the mouth. And Ja Rule, who's always been like, Ashanti is my sister. Ashanti is my sister. This is family. I love her. Is not stopping this man or even trying to. I fully understand this. We're short of punching somebody in the face. You can't really stop them from running their mouth. But Ja Rule doesn't even jump in and be like, yo, what you're doing right now is like very grimy. Like this is really fucked up what you're doing. He doesn't speak on it. So this interview airs which I kind of feel away. I was like, y'all could have edited that shit. Y'all chose not to because you knew that Irv talking about Ashanti was going to get you better ratings. Remember what I said earlier about the, ex- the sexual exploitation of black women and how it finances so many things? Ashanti's not a sex worker, obviously. So take the sex worker part out and just say sex with black women and how it finances so many things. Irv has a documentary that's coming out soon. That's why he's talking all this shit. He's trying to get interest for his documentary. Apparently, Ashanti didn't participate in the documentary, and Irv is mad about that. 
the interview airs. People are like, Irv Gotti ain't shit. And they're like, by the way, Ja Rule ain't shit for not speaking up for Ashanti, who, you're, who you've been calling sister and family for the last 20 years. Fat Joe, in a rare move for a man, men don't usually check other men, especially not publicly. But Fat Joe had a problem with Irv talking about Ashanti and was like, you know, it's been 20 years. Why are you so invested in this 20 years later? Like, move the fuck on. Also, I just found the Fat Joe response. There's a story on the source. I want to quote him because I like what he said. He said, quote, whatever Irv has with Ashanti is 20 years old. I know he was making some points that mean a lot to him. But when you keep ranting about somebody 20 years later, it feels like he's not over the young lady. Also, we didn't know that they was fucking the whole time I'm there. What's love? Big pun record on tour. I never seen them together like that. Now, I'm not saying they wasn't. They was or there was rumors they was. I never seen it, but I don't need to know. Irv Gotti has since said that he and Fat Joe are no longer friends. Ja Rule, after he was dragged, jumped into the conversation. The first time Ja Rule addressed this, he hopped in the comments section of Hollywood Unlocked. He said, stop saying I didn't defend sis and all women when I clearly told Gotti stop calling Ashanti and women the B word. Same way I told Joe at Versus, watch the interview before you talk shit. Now leave me TF, i.e. the fuck, out of grown folks business. He had another response after that because I was so disgusted with him when he said it. Oh, I'm sorry. I left out this detail. Gotti also said that Ashanti wrote Happy right after they had sex. Apparently his dick was the inspiration for Happy. Sir, sir. So Ja Rule had to address it again because people were still calling him out. He said, the last few days have been very turbulent for me, but it's time to land the plane. I love my sis. I love my bro, but I do not condone or agree with the behavior, nor the way Gotti handled things on Drink Champs. I hope y'all understand how uncomfortable this is for me being in the middle of something I wish not to be. Going forward, all I ask is to be left out of this, please and thank you. Sincerely, Switzerland Bennett. People are on his ass because you call somebody family and let them get dragged. The same way that Fat Joe spoke up when he saw it and was like, no, you're doing too much. You bringing up this old business, like, let it go. That's all Ja Rule had to say. He chose not to say it. And this whole, like, Switzerland Bennett, I'm like, you are in the middle of it. You called a woman family. You sat there with an, you called a woman family. Usually the way it's supposed to go, if there's an issue between a man and a woman, especially something like this, it's usually a male family member that's supposed to step up and address it. You the male family member. Why are you not addressing it? Where, where is protect black women right now? You didn't, you had one job. You failed. Ashanti, to my knowledge, has not commented. I want to call her publicist so bad. We used to share the same publicist and be like, um, does she have a comment? Will she say anything? I don't think she should. I think Ashanti being, for the last 20 years, so deeply unproblematic and not coming for anyone and handling so much of her life that has become public with grace and kindness that everyone is just like, why would, of all people, of all people to call out, why would you do that to Ashanti? And I think it's actually working in her favor that she says nothing because Irv just looks like a big ass bully. It's like, one, why are you talking about 20 year old sex? It must have been good. We know she got body. But I was like, does she have Badu too? 
Because 20 years later, you still talk about it? She left an impression for sure. Irv was somewhere else. After the dragging he got for talking about Ashanti on Drink Chance, he went somewhere else and was talking about Ashanti didn't show me any loyalty when the feds accused me of money laundering. As soon as I got arrested, Ashanti was like, I want off the label. I'm not doing this shit anymore. She bailed on me. And, sir, I do not understand how people who have no loyalty be surprised when people don't have loyalty to them. You, you, you're telling people proudly, proudly, 20 years later, how you cheated on your wife. At the time that he's talking about Ashanti wasn't loyal to me, she was three years into a relationship with Nelly. But do you know also that he was still married? Your wife stuck by you. Why do you care if Ashanti does or not? Let me be on a label with somebody and they get fed charges. Which, by the way, I think Irv was acquitted from. But I was like, you expected her to be loyal to you? It's a business. In the same week that you're running around telling people how you, were, how you cheated on your wife, how you were disloyal to your marriage, and apparently is proud about it. So you're disloyal. You don't have loyalty. You have no loyalty. At the same time, you're complaining about someone else not having loyalty to you. Make it make sense. Man was proud about that shit. What happened to the days when people did their dirt quietly? People have always done dirt. That's just the way of the world. This incessant need for people to tell folks about like, this is the trifling shit I've done that didn't nobody know you was doing. Lori Harvey voice. Why? Why? She's been talking lately too. I I didn't see the interview yet. That's why I'm not talking about it. I heard about it. I need to sit down and watch it. But why? Why? I love me some Lori Harvey. That's not the point. The point is Irv Gotti ain't shit. There's other things for us to talk about. I feel like we talked about enough today. I got to say something for Friday so we don't have a a dry episode. I want to talk about that Psychology Today article where they were talking about how men can't find women because women want healthy relationships and men don't be and men are healthy. I was like, that's a drag from Psychology Today, no less. Oh, dear. And then we have updates on some other stuff. But we'll get to that on Friday. So that's today's episode. I'll be back on Friday with more. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye.